0: first time in many years I've seen Alexia Russell move.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do I say?
0: Wait, I, the time I, mean, I
1: climb those stairs for you?
0: Move in the studio. <laughs> Why don't you wait till I finish the sentence? <laughs> honestly, sentence honestly you, it ma- you make me look bad. Um, on this day in... <laughs> <laughs> That's not her. <laughs>
1: you want me to
0: read that out? This, Okay, anyway, what am I saying? On this day in 84, this song was... Number one in the U.S. singles chart. It's "Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Heard of the song, Johnny? I have, yep. yes. Great yep. song. George Michael's inspiration for the song was a scribbled note left by his partner, Andrew Ridgeley, partner in the, in the, uh, the band. Andrew Ridgeley lived at home with his parents, even after Wham! made it big. And one day, Ridgely needed a wake-up call, so he left a note for his mum on the door. He wrote, Wake Me Up Up and realising he duplicated a word he finished the sentence with, before you go, go. Uh, It's (laughs) it's stupid, isn't it? But it's amazing what comes from um, a little ounce of creativity, Johnny O'Donnell. It certainly is, uh, and I've been thinking lots about Invercargill, actually, so I'm
2: thinking <laughs> I, <laughs> it's really stuck with me. You
0: see, it's, <laughs> as has listeners, I think it's blown their minds, mm. someone says, yay, Invercargill, what a great place for invention, mm. amazing, instant coffee, and now I hear the hairpin, what a place. <laughs> <laughs> and someone else says, I mean, this can't be true, or are we going to the rabbit hole? Hokey Pokey ice cream was invented in Invercargill too. Um, Ayana, my wonderful producer, Ayana, can you check that with the curator of Southern Museum if Hokey Pokey is also from uh, Invercargill? I don't believe that. It can't be. It c- too much richness <laughs> in one Invercargill city. can't be that good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Margaret says, needless to say, huge response on this, Wallace and the panel. Nationals' idea and Outward Bound have the potential to differ in a key way. Boot camps are at risk of imposing discipline from outside and creating resentment, unless backed up with a lot of support. Outward Bound challenges participants to challenge themselves, thereby promoting personal growth from within. But the concept of boot camps will resonate with a large part of National's core support and some victims of crime, so it will be a winner for National. Uh, um, that's and I the wonder, upsetting, part isn't it? Though? Well, no, no, it's it's <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's um, Margaret's view, and um, it it will be uh, it will be. I'm sure it will resonate with with some people. Well, I yeah.
2: I, I mean I agree with Margaret that it's a that it's a political play and that it will play to the base. It's a boring one, um, but I think what what's upsetting about it is that actually, this is the reason we're talking about these young people is because other people are now being affected by them. And that, I think that's the upsetting part. It's actually, we needed to care about them a long time before this, um, and we clearly haven't, and that's uh, that's the part that's right. sort of, and always me.
0: Someone says, I'm a female doing an engineering apprenticeship in my final year. It is hard finding men willing to teach you tricks of the trade and willing to spend time training you. But if companies could become 50-50, they could become much more productive and harmonious. And I think... Uh, as a woman in trades, it would be amazing. Really appreciate your support this afternoon, Uh, your your feedback rather, thank you. Uh, To this, it's Black Friday uh, coming up. You might be in for a new ironing board, an egg slicer, an asparagus steamer, maybe a cummerbund for that summer wedding, things that you really need. Chances are the malls will be Heaving. It's an American thing which has been adopted here. Black Friday has been the busiest shopping day of the year in the United States since 2005. Is it rampant consumerism? With us is Claire, uh, Claire Gray, the Head of Advocacy at Tear Fund. Kia ora, Claire.
3: Hello. How are you?
0: Good. Uh, what's your issue with uh, Black Friday?
3: I think Black Friday is a really good example of how we how the way we consume is problematic. It's quite unsustainable for people who are involved in the process of producing what we buy, and it's quite unsustainable for our planet. And in general, our rate of consumption has increased probably by about, I think it's about 400% in the last two decades. And Black Friday is just kind of like the epitome of that, right, where we kind of can get swept up in this desire to go and buy things just because they're cheap. And I think we... um, yeah, I think we can we we don't have to buy into that. We could sort of be a bit
0: different. Well, last year New Zealanders spent nearly a quarter of a billion dollars uh on the last year's Black Friday sales and that was, you know, in the pandemic. Uh you know, so it's a lot of money, significant. We should be celebrating this, shouldn't we?
3: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Eh? And I think I mean, I think like I've been we've been talking about that. Black Friday a little bit in the office and I think it provides like a really great opportunity for people to spend and and make some savings right like we're in a time where there's a bit of a cost of living crisis and people are going to use Black Friday sales to go out and buy that thing that they need at the low cost but the problem is it becomes our consumption doesn't just happen in a vacuum it, it really comes at a cost to the people who are producing the products that we buy so TF focuses a lot on the fashion industry, it's an industry that has a really high risk of slavery and exploitation in the supply chains and there's been a huge growth in consumption of clothes because of fast fashion and so yes, on one hand, while it's really great for our economy when we consume a lot, we're doing that at the cost of, of the quality of life for some of the people in the supply chain. And at times like Black Friday, you'll we'll see what we see is huge pressure back down supply chains, you know, huge orders getting placed by brands and depending on how that brand works with its suppliers, how that plays out in workers' lives, you know, people who actually sew the clothes that we wear in factories and their reality is that they have to work massive long hours, compulsory overtime, really low wages, somehow, sometimes withheld wages. And that's, that's the real cost. Of the bargains that we get, um, that's often really invisible to us, right? right. When we're
0: in the mall. Okay, so uh, here we have Claire Alexia um, uh, giving us a reminder of what to think about uh, if we go to those Black Friday sales in the mall.
1: Yeah, and also some of them are not good. Deals, you know, be very sure. Well, actually, that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they're not deals at all. Some (laughs) of them, they're just swept up in the excitement. You know, so you need to ask yourself before you head into the mall: Why would you go to the mall on a day like that? Do I need something? You know, is it going to be worth having ten dollars off an item for the extra stress I'm going to spend circling a car park in Albany? Um, You know, is this really? You know, am am I doing this for good reasons? you know, obtaining that long-awaited thing I honestly really need or you're just being sucked in by the event. You know, I I agree with Claire that we are swamped in consumerism and I hate, I really hate these days. No, no, no,
0: but do you you really? Yeah, I say well away from them. Do you do? Well, before we go to Johnny, I mean, here we have, Claire, the cost of living crisis. People are hurting, are struggling. Any way I can get a cheaper T-shirt, I will. Surely... Um, this is Black Friday in a new light this year.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that people should make the most, like, you know, where the money is tight, make the most of the sales. But just buy what you need, you know. I think a really great thing for people to do before you go out to the mall or do your online shop is to write a list. What are the things you actually need to make sure you buy those three things you need And only those three things you need, not the 15 things that were way cheaper and you bought just because you felt like it. You know what I mean? Let's let's make the most of it, but let's limit the, the mindless consumption that can often happen.
2: Johnny? Oh, I'm I'm with um, Alexia and Claire on this. I think it's a uh, Black Friday is a you know a terrible example of um, imported culture that we don't need. Oh, uh, we've just had the Nelson Arts Festival and one of the talks was from Mike Joy and something he said's really stuck with me. You know, that we're living well beyond our means and it's like we've been in a very long party, but the party is now over. You know, we are extending well beyond our planetary limits. And
0: um, what to, what about to those retailers in Nelson, Johnny, who, as you well know, have been really doing it tough?
2: I do know, and I actually. I I don't buy that something like Black Friday is helpful or good to the economy at all. Just because there's a spike in spend and consumerism doesn't mean it's good for the economy. Uh, In fact, I don't don't see any small local artisan businesses or uh, local providers participating in Black Friday just because people are out buying crap doesn't mean it's supporting the local economy. I don't really buy that at all.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know, you talk about the cost of living, Wallace, in terms of I so I need that cheap T-shirt. Yep. How about the cost of living? So I don't need a new T-shirt. Mm. You know, I bet you anything you like, you've got at least three T-shirts in your wardrobe. Mm. And the cost of living <laughs> is hurting point.
2: people on housing and food. You know, it's not actually the, the we've got an unrealistic view of what a lot of our appliances and products actually cost. Um, if we're going to be sensible about. Um, Okay. this party, then we All need right. to be realistic about hey, stuff. costs. Hey, here
0: is an idea because we're solutions focused here on the panel. We don't sort of we don't we're not we don't just moan and whinge. Claire. How about this? Um, uh, Claire Amos, who has every now and then comes on the panel as well, uh, has given us an idea. What about this? Why don't we have a Green Friday? Mm,
2: great idea. Great.
0: Where we commit to only buying second hand.
3: That's amazing. That's
0: not a bad idea, is it?
3: Race Black Friday with Green Friday next week.
0: Hashtag Green Friday. Who's in?
1: Yeah, and, and this new legislation too about getting things repaired that will change the way no. we look at appliances. Be, that's same kind of thing.
0: Very good indeed. Hey, Claire, head, uh, sorry, Claire Gray, thank you for being with us on the panel. Thanks
3: for having me. That
0: is Claire Gray, Head of Advocacy at Tear Fund. I want to, te- I want to hear from you this afternoon. 2101, would you support a Green Friday? Yes or no? Love to hear from you. The panel RNZ National, we have Johnny O'Donnell. For the first time on the panel, uh, he is Nelson based from Water. Actually, do you live in Week, uh, uh Johnny? I'm in Nelson now. Nelson now. Yeah, both wonderful um, towns, wonderful parts of the country. And with me here, Alexia Russell. And to this, more... Intense rainfall, stronger winds lie ahead in the future. That's what a report says on Wellington's changing climate prepared by NIWA. So no huge surprises here, but these heavy rainfall events will generate slips, floods, overwhelming stormwater, wastewater systems. It'll present significant issues for local councils. Nelson. Mm. went through just this type of rainfall event a few months ago. People's homes were lost to slips in Nui. With us to discuss is Regional Council Chairperson Darren Ponta. Kia ora, Darren. Oh, kia ora, Koutou. And just on those slips first, Darren, I mean, many parts of Wellington, I can imagine, prone to slips. These projections should be seen as a clear warning for the region, right?
4: Oh, yes, look, absolutely, and and something that we're just going to live with from time to time and need to learn how to adapt to.
0: Extreme bursts over very short durations. I mean, which were of importance for flood protection design? It could increase by up to 40%. That surface flooding, Darren. That can really cause a shock, can't it?
4: Uh, yes, um, um sort of really comes uh, without much warning um, through the uh, through the system uh, and can overwhelm our, f- our flood banks and flood facilities. So that's a huge concern to us. And one of the reasons for commissioning this piece of work is to get more precision as we understand more about climate change and the impact of climate change. We, we can then start to calibrate our response in terms of our flood protection, where we locate communities, and whether we locate communities yeah. in particular areas, and how we how we defend their patch, if you like.
0: Oh, goodness, so Alexia, no, nothing new here, but I'm just raising it, and particularly, yeah. actually, can I just bring in your area because you've got can I can I mention Beach Haven, the wonderful uh, Beach <laughs> Haven? Uh, few slips around there, eh? Well, yeah, I
1: can't, it's quite amazing that the one that was on the the really obvious visible one was uh, not recently not found to be the um, bloke's fault for um, putting massive great concrete. Things in or chopping down all the trees, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and Stanley Point and Devonport, yeah. you can see that. the city. They're, they're just the whole cliff just coming shocking, down. That eh? was shocking. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Northland. You know, a friend of mine yeah. drove up back up to her home in Pihere the other day. Had to leave before it started raining because she knew there'd be a pothole and her Audi would go into it. You know, It'd I mean, slammed, the eh? roads there mm. absolutely shocking and getting worse with this weather. So, Darren, this is just, I presume, a Wellington centric report, but I guess they would have you know extrapolate around the country, wouldn't it?
4: Well, it is more particular to the west coast of the Wellington region. So, you know, Wellington City, Poriru are going up the Kapiti um, coast. So we're very focused on that area, which is where we've got a lot of our infrastructure, a lot of our transport infrastructure, and the bulk of our population as a region. Yes, I think you can extrapolate many of these um the bigger lessons from this elsewhere in the uh, the country, but every region will have a slightly different profile. What this tells us is that we will be like the hawkes bay mid century and a little bit more like Auckland at the end of the, uh, at, at the end of the century
0: mm. uh, and Johnny you mentioning nelson mm. uh, i I'm, I'm guessing you would have been there on in those Indeed. actually are those i incredible floods, the might I it was just something else. Yeah, it was terrifying actually. I mean,
2: uh, we were expecting heavy rain, we knew that was coming, um, but the event that we got was completely unexpected, the scale of it. I mean, I was walking quite close to the river um, earlier in the day, I walked yeah. into a meeting, I saw some cars parked by the river and thought, oh, that's probably quite brave, there might be a bit of surface flooding. Uh, when I emerged from that meeting an hour later, those cars were all underwater. It, no. was, it was unsettlingly fast, it really was a terrifying God. event. Is
1: that Queen Charlotte Drive still close?
2: Closed? Yeah, there's um, at, at the moment State Highway Six is closed, um, so that's a key route for us, obviously, from uh, connecting Waido Marlborough, um, with Nelson, um, and obviously off the ferry and things. So that's closed for repairs at the moment. It, it reopened briefly, but now there's some repairs going in. And I guess thinking about you know Darren's position here and um, feeling for all the councils around the country who are facing not only decisions around how to deal with property owners in this who have a, a lot at stake, but also who pays for it. You know, the the repair bill in yeah. Nelson just for the council sitting around six. Sixty million at the moment. It yeah. was it was a six million dollars emergency response alone. Um, and, you know how can councils keep up with these events?
1: Well, especially if those slips come down with, you know, if there are pipes underneath the roads and gas pipes and sewage yeah. pipes. And yeah, we
2: lost one of our uh, main pipes. Um, and, you know, that, yeah. in, in Nelson there was um, 350 slips, I think, um, around that time. Yeah, really extraordinary. You know, there's some people Gosh. in some um, pretty tough spots um, following the flood. Yeah,
0: homes were lost. I mean, that was really something else. Mm. But, Darren, that's just a window into the future, isn't it? And uh, what a point Johnny makes in terms of uh, Nelson, they still don't know... Where are they going to get their $60 million from?
4: Yeah, and that is a huge conundrum for local government. You know, We've got a lot of reform coming at us um, as it is, but we've also got these very practical issues that we're going to have to uh, face down as local government with our communities, with central government and with the private sector. Everybody's going to have to be uh, involved and be committed to finding a solution to some of these issues.
0: Um, very, very good. So what goals does the Regional Council have finally?
4: Um, well, this information um, gives us more pre- precision around things like uh, flood protection, raising the banks, giving the rivers more room to move, say in the hut river uh, area and in the the 70,000 uh, population in the hut uh, in the hut valley, but also things like um, the slips that uh, that come down from time to time above our rail lines on the Kapiti, uh, uh, on the Kapiti coast, putting in uh, uh, fences on those slips so that we know if they're moving from rainfall events and what have you. So a whole range of uh, activities that we can now better uh, prepare for.
1: One of of the big issues of this, isn't it, Darren, is that if you buy a clifftop property with your millions and it then falls into the sea, is it fair to ask ratepayers to to fix that for you, to to compensate you? This is a big dilemma that's being wrestled with at the moment, isn't it?
4: Uh, it's, and, and, and there isn't an easy answer to that. And we we first started to see this play out in Matatā a number of years ago. Um, that is that is um, that hasn't been resolved uh, at wow. all. And of course, ratepayers can't just keep on chipping away, which is why we need to be much more careful about where we place communities in the future, uh, new greenfield subdivisions and what have you. We need to be have much more foresight. Uh, to the climate change implications of where we put
2: people. Yeah, it feels it feels like the conversation at the moment, doesn't it? Because globally at COP twenty-seven, you know, the the what's in focus at the moment is who's going to pay globally um, for climate change mitigation and indeed adaptation. But actually, uh, that's exactly the type of conversation we need to be having in our local yep. community as well. Who's going to pay?
0: Very good, Darren. Thanks for being with us, Kiota. Thank you, Darren Ponte, there, regional council chairperson. A lovely stuff. Um, now, uh, really large response to. Uh, Green Friday, we're going to bring about this tomorrow people don't want Black Friday on the panel they want uh, Green Friday Um, so this was Claire Amos' idea, bring on Green Friday except for undergarments, all of my clothing is pre-loved, I haven't worn something in that season, it gets given to a friend or recycled to an op shop uh, says Jen in Nelson finally, so this week we talked about the town of Pegasus just out of Christchurch. Uh, the issue there captured attention because there was a streetlight in the middle of an intersection. People were fascinated. But I wasn't interested in that streetlight in that intersection. I was interested in the town itself. It started its life not long ago as a manufactured town or planned town. What's that? A manufactured town or city is one that didn't organically develop over many years, say, alongside a river over decades or centuries on the coast with the port. Canberra is a famous example. In fact, it started its life as a design competition. Milton Keynes, another. So does New Zealand have other manufactured towns? With us is Bill Mackay, Senior Lecturer in Architecture and Planning at Auckland University. Kia ora, Bill.
5: Kia ora, Wallace and panel. I ora, am
0: fascinated with planned towns, and I had the absolute pleasure of going to Canberra I couldn't believe it. I felt like I was in the Truman show, Bill.
5: <laughs> um, did you have to use a car to get everywhere?
0: <laughs> I did. But I felt when I was walking down the boulevard with those planned mm. trees, I thought, yeah. I'm walking down a boulevard. It was so yeah. weird.
5: Yeah. Um Washington D C is another example of a planned town. You get lots of capitals uh Brasilia and South America, oh. and India, yeah. Mm. Okay. And they- they just don't work very well unless you've got a big limo and a chauffeur.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. Can-
1: Canberra's a big compromise, isn't it, Bill? They couldn't decide who was going to be the capital, so they had to build one.
5: Yeah, there's halfway between. <laughs> yeah.
0: So does New Zealand have any other planned or manufactured towns?
5: Yeah, well, uh, Manukau City is actually a um, you know a second Auckland. Uh, that was all paddocks there. Uh, oh. And uh, that was planned, and I don't think that's worked out too flash either. Right. Um, and believe it or not, a lot of the Hutt Valley places, Nai Nai, for instance, um, designed by a immigrant architect, it's Pliska, and the first pedestrian plaza in New Zealand was there, outdoor plaza, Hillary Square, and um, that was actually modelled on St Mark's Square in Venice. You're kidding. Actually. Wow. No, uh, you can't tell the you
0: can't tell the similarities. Uh, um,
5: <laughs> if, if you if you blur your eyes and squint, you can yeah. kind of see it, but um, no, you but, wouldn't know it, would
1: you? But we're getting a new one, aren't we, Bill? A sleepy head still
0: going ahead with theirs.
5: Oh, that's right, that's right. And there's, there's, there's still quite a few going.
0: But that's Absolutely. not a that's not a manufacturer town, eh? That's a company town.
5: Yes, exactly right. Yeah,
2: Bill, how how come these? um, What's the flaw in these planned towns? Because if if I think about the concept, and you know, presumably we've learnt a fair bit since we created most of our towns about what good urban design looks Mm. like. So, what what's the flaw? Why do they go so wrong? Wouldn't you? You would.
5: (laughs) You'd think so, but um, I think it's because cities are such complicated beasts. Yeah, that um, it's a bit like CGI in the movies. Um, you get this kind of sameness and homogeneity. You're right. often impressed by how it's done, but you kind of go, there's something unnatural here?"
1: Mm. There's no beautiful mistakes.
0: Yeah, what a good way um, of describing yeah. it.
5: Um, the, the Truman Show, um, the town that's set in, is actually another manufactured community. Um, no way! Uh, even, yep, and um, I've forgotten the name, oh, Seaside, um, and um, even Disney have built one, called Celebration, which is kind of very much a kind of oh, I found myself back in the nineteen
0: sixty s. Sounds a bit Mickey Mouse. Oh, <laughs> yep. Good on you, Lexia. Yeah, okay. Hey, this is—it's uh, really extraordinary because I, I like that term, "beautiful mistakes," because mm. I love thinking about cities. What uh, what a city makes for me, Bill, is that idea of going around the corner and seeing something idiosyncratic or a bit quirky. Yeah. It might not work, and I just found myself walking through Canberra, going, "It's all very functional, but there's something soulless." about it, yeah, even though there were yeah. bars and cafes.
5: Yeah, yeah. And um, I, um, one, of, one of the things that I'm starting to think about a lot more is what we call designing disorder. Um, so you design to um, allow um, oh. disorder to happen and people to come up with new ideas and new ways of doing things.
0: So very interesting. Someone says here, Twizel was a planned, Sue, says uh, oh, Sue. Yeah, in fact, yeah. Is that right?
5: Yeah. Hydro Town, I think it was. So, Hydro Town, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, Hawada as well as a planned town. Uh, lots of walkways and cycleways in Canberra these days. These days it's a great place to visit. So I'm not sort of knocking these planned towns, Bill, yeah. because they can they can develop over time, right?
5: Yeah, and we've got way more of them in New Zealand than we think, you know, from the First Labour Government and their public works after the Second World War.
0: All right. Very good Bill Kira. Thanks for that. That's Bill their sure. Senior Lecturer in Architecture and Planning. But there's nothing fake about Nelson, is there, Johnny? It's the jewel in the crown of Aotearoa.
2: Well, we always think about it's the centre and we always think about, you know, it's a very compact town. And I remember talking to our new our fantastic new deputy mayor, Rohan O'Neill Stevens, and he said it's a planner's dream. I was thinking about that while we were talking.
0: Good on you, Johnny. Hey, lovely to have you on the panel. We'll invite you back. Excellent. Beautiful Great stuff, to be here. Yeah. Thanks, Wallace. Alexi Russell, you too. Perhaps uh, I'm Wallace Chapman. <laughs> don't <laughs> yeah. strain yourself. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Wallace Chapman back tomorrow. Power battle Friday. Checkpoint next.